B'Shem Hashem Na'asev Na'asliyah. Welcome everyone, welcome back to our weekly shiur on the parasha with the perush of the Zerah Shimshon. Um, um, today, we're, this, this week's parasha is parashat B'Shalah. We're going to be doing Bezrat Hashem Derush Dalet, the fourth derush of the Zerah Shimshon together tonight. Um, I just want to take a moment to say thanks to all those that um, comment, call me about the shurim that we have. It means a lot to me. Uh, Baruch Hashem, we got a lot of people that um, enjoy many of the shiurim. Last week's shiur was a big, um, Parashat Bo was a big chidush for myself. And a lot of people enjoyed it. And I'm glad people did enjoy it. Um, um, this shiur, as everyone knows, that's been here before, just to give a, a small introduction. The Zerah Shimshon lived about 300 years ago in Italy. And um, he unfortunately passed away, leaving no children behind. His only son passed away in his lifetime. And because of that, uh, when he was passing away, he wanted to leave something behind. Not that he didn't leave anything behind, but Chachamim uh, say a person's Torah is like their children that live on forever. So he basically said, he made a pact that whoever learns his Torah and whoever teaches his Torah, he will make sure, he blesses them, so to speak, from heaven, that they should have children, kishtilezatim, like the, like the branches of olives, um, and he, they, should have, they should prosper in parnasah, and everything shall be good in their lives. Many people have actually come forward, many people have stories of miraculous things that have happened for them, due to the fact that they started learning the Zerah Shimshon. I'll just read, for instance, I'll translate part of his will, this is his will, so to speak, which is in his introduction to the Sefer, he says, I implore, I implore you with 10 expressions of supplication to choose to study those portions of these novel concepts, which he's talking about the Zerah Shimshon, that find favor in their eyes. Even more so, learn them after, after his death, meaning, since this study will serve to restore my essence and soothe my spirit and will meritorious for my soul. And then he says, The measure of reward is plentiful, and so too is peace from heaven. For those who do kindness graciously, your eyes shall see wise and intelligent children and grandchildren like olive shoots around your table. Your homes will be full of all that is good. Neither wealth nor honor will cease from your descendants until the fulfillment of they will see the glory of Hashem, the majesty of our God. And he will raise a banner for the nations and assemble all. So basically he says, until Moshiach comes, I will make sure I bless you that you should have everything good. I'm telling you people that have started learning the Zerah Shimshon, there were people, there was one story I read, there was a guy that was bound to a wheelchair and he told him he'll never walk again. And he started learning and teaching the Zerah Shimshon and he's walking. And the doctors can't understand. There were people that, Rahman and son. So it's a great, great segula for great things. But I must say, that's not why we're learning it. We're learning it because his Torah is absolutely magnificent. The way he looks at the Torah, the way he, his perush is beautiful. And that's why so many people around the world are out there trying to translate his works because it is kind of difficult. He has difficult Torah, difficult things to understand. So we'll delve into it as much as we can. The shiur 
If anyone, by the way, wants to dedicate or wants to sponsor the Shi'urs, you could reach out to me at um, zerashimshonstory at gmail.com. If you have any stories, personal stories you want to share, you could do, use the same email. If you want to sponsor a Shi'ur, you could let us know or let me know personally or email us at zerashimshonstory at gmail.com. Um, the Shi'ur is dedicated for the Refuah Shalema of Kol Chole Am Yisrael. Um, uh, if you have anyone in mind, just have their names in mind. Um, also, those that are looking to get married, Bezrat Hashem, they should be zochet to find their zivug in the, in the zechut of Zerah Shimshon Bekarov Vizmano. Those that need children, Hashem should give them children in the zechut. Those that have children, Hashem should keep them in the right path. Amen. Keni Ratzon. Okay. Midrash Rabbah, in the Midrash it teaches. The Torah says this week, when we start Parashat Beshalach, Be'ezrat Hashem, the Torah says that, the, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu took the Jews out of Egypt, and He took them at a roundabout way out of Egypt. He didn't, go, he didn't take us directly to Eretz Israel. You could say this was the first time Jews were late for something. Now we were trying to go to Eretz Israel. And we're going to be late. Was it the first time? I don't know. Maybe there are past ancestors that we've had. That were, but we didn't make it on time. We were actually 40 years late. So the next time someone tells you, uh, why are your weddings always two hours late? You could just turn to them and say, at least it's not 40 years late. Okay, relax. Enjoy the hors d'oeuvres. Chuppah will start whenever the groom and the bride decide that they want to get married said the rabbi. <laughs> so the Midrash Shabbat says, Vayaseh Elohim et ha'am, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, turned the people around. That's what the, that's what the Pasuk says in the Torah, that Hashem turned people around, which means He didn't take them the direct way to Eretz Yisrael. Mikan amu Rabotenu, our rabbis teach from here. Afilu ani Yisrael lo Even the poorest of the Jews shall not eat their meal Un unless, unless they recline. When is it talking about? Pesach. On Pesach, everyone has to eat their matzah, which is the obligation, by reclining to the left. Why? Because we want to we recline. We want to be aristocrats. We want to we be noblemen. We want to recline. I know most of us feel every time we recline, we think to ourselves, who eats like this? I know I'm thinking it, you know? What nobleman leans to their left and eats? I feel like every time you're about to choke because you're like lying on your side. But believe it or not, if you research on Googly or Google, <laughs> you, you will see that <laughs> in the olden days, they used to have beds where they used to lie on. It's like these half couches. They used to lie and eat. Like rich people, that's how they used to eat. And when your body gets used to it, I guess it works. You know what I mean? Today's day and age, Please, don't try this at home. It doesn't really work. But that's how they used to do it. So the Midrash is saying, the fact that God took us at a roundabout way from Egypt to Eretz Israel and didn't take us directly into Eretz Israel teaches us that even the poorest Jew has to recline on Pesach. No matter how poor they are, act like you're rich and recline. Okay? 
because this is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu did to the Jews Shenemar, as it says and Hashem Vayasev He turned the people at Kan this is the Midrash first question everyone has to have is please, if you're not listening act like you are it makes me feel good I go home happy so anyone have the it's just a simple question no Question is, what does one have to do with the other? It's saying the reason, because God took us at a roundabout way out of Egypt, so we have to recline. What does that have to do with anything? I have to recline because we were late to Eretz Israel. Hashem took us on a detour. So I have to recline because we went on a detour. It has to make sense. And that's a Midrash. See, this is the thing. This is the beauty of the Zerah Shimshon. Many, many of us, when we learn Midrashim, we think to ourselves, yeah, that's how a Midrash is. It's very cryptic. Like, it's not supposed to make sense because they're just, you know, they're things, sometimes you don't understand, sometimes they don't make sense. But the Zerashim Shon always makes it make sense. They, because Midrashim weren't just written by some random people. Like a random poet that wanted to rhyme. And he's like, ah, who cares, this rhymes, even if it doesn't make sense, at least it rhymes, right? That's not what Midrashim were written for. So he says, this is, this is astounding. What does one have to do with the other? The fact that we, 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 we kind of went an indirect way, what does it have to do with us leaning on the side on Pesach? Rashi says over there on that Pasuk, the fact that Hashem took us on a roundabout way, Rashi says, Rashi kind of does a Kalva Chomer. Last time we talked about a Kalva Chomer. What did, we did, what did we say a Kalva Chomer is in English? You guys remember? Logical calculation, is that what we said? We'll call it a logical calculation. If it makes sense to you, it makes sense to me. I don't care. Meaning, a logical calculation is, if in so-and-so situation God did this, how much more so He would do the same thing in a much less of a situation? So let me explain to you what that Kalva Chomer is in the Rashi. Rashi says like this, When Hashem led Bnei Israel at a roundabout way, Bnei Israel said, you know what? Give us another leader. Let's just go back to Mitzrayim. When was this? This is when the Jews sent spies into Israel. The spies came back with a negative report. And they're like, oh God, we're all going to die. Quite literally, right? <laughs> Somebody, it was bad. And all the Jews turned around and they're like, you know what? Give us a leader. Let's just go back to Egypt. And that was how long after we came out of Egypt, by the way? It was 16 months after. And we wanted to go back. So he's saying, if all the way there, 16 months later, when Hashem took us all this roundabout way, we said, you know what? The spies said negative stuff about Israel. We don't want to go. Just take us back to Egypt. If that's what we said, if Hashem had taken, if Hashem had taken the direct way to Israel, for sure we would have said take us back to Israel. If we said, take us back when we went through the detours, how much more so we would have said take us back if we would have gone directly. Now we're going to try to understand how does Rashi make sense? What does one have to do with the other? Why, why is it that we would have asked for God to take us back to Egypt more if we would have gone directly? 
Why, going di- why would going directly to Israel make Jews want to go back to Mitzrayim more? What does the distance have to do with it? What's distance got to do with it? Got to do with it. <laughs> got to do with it. <laughs> okay. Someone spiked my tea, I'm telling you. Did you? You should have. So he says, even this Kalvachomer, you have to ask. What is Rashi saying with this Kalvachomer? Shara Adraba. He says, on the contrary, it should be the other way around. If Hashem would have just taken us to Israel right away, as soon as we came out of Mitzrayim, we would have not regretted anything and wanted to go back to Mitzrayim. The fact that we wanted to go back to Mitzrayim was because we were just out for so long. We got tired. That's Logically, that's make, that makes more sense. If you would have taken us directly to Israel, we would have been, okay, Baruch Hashem, Chodar Shokr, Matos El Al, direct flight, we are here. The service was eh, but at least we are here. Right? But now... Now that you took us out the long distance way, we would have asked to go back home even more. So what's Rashi saying? The exact opposite. If it would have taken us directly, we would have been like, no, let's go back to Mitzrayim. The long way, maybe not. Why? So he explains why, did that, why so. We, wouldn't, we would have not regretted it having left Egypt, and would have wanted to go back to Mitzrayim. Because it would have still been, Mitzrayim would have still been fresh in our minds. Our slave, would, our slave I turned Indian for a second. Uh, our slavery would have still been so fresh in our minds that we would have, like if, let's say, for instance, if it had taken only two months to get to Israel from Egypt, and something would have gone wrong, we wouldn't just right away be like, you know what, let's go back to Mitzrayim. No, because our memories, we would have not forgotten Egypt that quickly. Right? We were like, no, I remember. It was bad. I don't want to go back. 16 months, a lot changes in a person's mind. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't so bad. I don't know. Maybe Paro's wife was putting pressure on him. Things happen. He was having issues. You know, we, we, we do that, right? We tend to do that. When, when time passes, we forget things easily. Right? So he says, if we would have gone directly, we wouldn't have that problem. <clears throat> and they would have joy. That they had left Egypt because it was so fresh. However, this is not so. When so much time has already passed, we would have already forgotten the bitterness of the, of the slavery. So it would have been so bad. Right? After 16 months, then we would be like, okay, maybe not. Therefore, after 16 months, that's when they said, let's go back to Egypt. Maybe if God would have taken us directly to the border of Israel, we would not have said go back because it would have, you know, Egypt's slavery would have still been fresh in our minds. Says, We must, the truth is, he says, we have to examine this. Let's understand. When did you send the spies into Israel? And they came back with, a, with, 
<coughs> with the negative report. Did you said mitena rosh venashuva? Let me try. Give us a leader and we shall go back to Egypt. The terminology used here is very precise. Basically, why didn't the Jews just say, let's go back to Egypt? Let's just go back. Why did they say, give us a new leader and we'll go back to Egypt? Why? What was the difference here? They should have just said, let's go back. Why do they need a new leader to do so? And furthermore, if they're going back to Egypt, they're going to be slaves, right? They're going to, if they're thinking of going back to Egypt, they're not going to hotels. They're going back to slavery, correct? If they're going back to slavery, what do they need a leader for? What's their, their leader is going to be just as slave as they are. So what's the difference having a leader or not? What would it, eh? Negotiate. Negotiate? You don't know what a slave is, do you? See, that's what happens when time passes. Slaves don't negotiate. That was the problem. Avadim, slaves don't have a king or a leader. They're slaves. They're going back to slavery. What, what, what leader? You know? Imagine somebody getting up and going, I am the leader of these slaves. Like, psh. okay, get in the back of the line. You're just as slave as the other ones. And this is two things that don't go together, slavery and leadership. Similarly, when they said, Another question on the spies. When the spies went, these are, all these questions are a part of the answer we're going to give. But I need to first know if everyone or at least half the room is following. If I have half of you following, we'll go further. Is everyone following so far? Yes. Okay, Yehuda is following. <laughs> so another thing that the it, Jews said, when the spies came back from Israel, they said, what we spied out of the land, what we noticed is, Eretz ochelet yosheveha. This land literally is eating its inhabitants. It's eating its people up. That's what they said. If we want to say these words, to understand them according to their simple meaning, <coughs> that basically what it's saying is that Israel makes its people die early. That's what it means, right? They went there and they saw people dying. And they came back and they're like, this land, it's bad. It's killing everybody. Everyone's dying early, right? It has to be something for them to come and be shocked about. It wasn't a normal death rate. They went in and they came out, they're like, This land is eating its inhabitants, meaning people are being buried. They're dying. So that's the simple meaning. So he says, That can't be. You can't say that that's what they meant or that's what was really happening. Because they knew what Eretz Yisrael was. The Canaanites lived there for many, many generations. And the Jews knew this because they knew they're supposed to go take it away from the Canaanites. God had promised the Jews that the Canaanites are going to give up the land, you're going to live there. Right? 
The Canaanites had lived there for many, many long years. So all of a sudden, if you're there and you're shocked to fa- to, because of the fact that it's eating its inhabitants, if Israel was really bad, no one would be alive there. No one would have survived hundreds of years. How come there's such a large nation until now? So you're thinking people are dying now, but it can't be because of the land, because the land has survived with people on it for hundreds of years before you got here. So what gives? Vadraba, to the contrary, Bifiam Hayumodim, they acknowledge with their own mouths. They themselves came and they said, these people are monsters. They're huge. They're very strong. So it can't be that the people were puny and they were dying. They knew that people lived there and they have a strong army. They came and said this. They said, these people, their dimensions are huge. And for us to say, as our Chachamim have told us, every place, that the spies went, one of the leaders of the Canaanites had died. Someone important had died. Now we know why that happened now. We know that Hashem made this as a miracle to keep the Canaanites busy. If in every section, every community, important people had passed away, the Canaanites would be busy burying their important people. Everyone's at the funeral. They're not going to pay attention at a bunch of spies spying out their land from the Jews. This way, God wanted to make it comfortable for the Jews. You want to spy out the land of Israel? You want to see what I'm about to give you? Here, I'll make them busy. You guys go around, do whatever you need to do your research and go home. That was the purpose of it, right? But they didn't see it that way. But, and he says, and we would say, because of this, Eretz Ochelet. They came back and they said, this land is eating its inhabitants. Gamzelo yitachen. This cannot be. Shein Sevaral Omar, because you cannot say this logically. Bishfil mikre echad shaya lahem Because the Jewish spies wouldn't come all of a sudden and say that Israel kills its people because of one incident. Basically, at that time, it was only happening at that time. You can't come back and all of a sudden say, yeah, 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 this land, this is what it generally does. It kills its people. Can't be. Logically, doesn't make sense. And the spies that went in were not regular people. They weren't, you know, they were highly, highly intelligent people. They wouldn't just make this up all of a sudden. Right? Because they themselves saw with their own eyes how many people lived in that land for how long. So it can't be that they really thought that somehow the land is cursed. They needed to know that this is happening exclusively now for their sake. Or else no one would have survived on this land. Furthermore, it would have made more sense to say, and at that time, it was only happening at that time, specifically, God was making it happen. Who did this, meaning HaKadosh Baruch Hu was doing this to the Canaanites in order to destroy them before the Jewish people come in. And although the spies... Their sole intention was what? What was their sole intention? To say, 
to, to, to say negative things about Israel. That was their intention. They said Lashon Hara about Israel. They had their own personal incentives why they wanted to say negative things about Israel, but that was their main intention. They came, they, they were looking for something wrong to report about. But he says, very interestingly, he says, even if they were looking for something negative to say, it still got to make sense. This doesn't make sense. You can't come after one time of one day of seeing people dying, all of a sudden come and claim that this land is always killing everyone. Because logic would just go against that. Everyone would be like, oh yeah, so how come there's so many people living there still? They should have died long ago. So it doesn't make sense. What were they really doing? What were they saying? What was this excuse? It has to make sense. So now, we're going to start going into the answer. Okay, everyone following so far? I know we had a couple of questions, but we'll, we're going to answer all of them together, and you'll see how all of them will be answered. And this is, this is going to be something very, very nice that you could share at the Seder table when Pesach arrives, God willing, because it has to do with Pesach as well, because it's in this Parsha. I know that people don't want to think about it, but Pesach is about two months away, literally. <laughs> it's not even funny, right? Just thinking about it, you know, I just want to leave right now. All the cleanup and stuff and the chaos of cleaning up. You women, you don't know what you do to men. I'm just letting that you know. Pesach comes, fear is in the house. A month before Pesach. Don't eat, don't walk, don't breathe. I'm sorry, I'm just lashing out right now. <laughs> so he says, and all of the above can be understood. With prefacing it with what our Chachamim have taught us. This is a very um, well-known thing to many. That if Moshe Rabbeinu, what would have happened if Moshe Rabbeinu would have taken us into Israel? Have you ever thought about that? What would have happened if Moshe Rabbeinu would have taken us to Israel? Not Yehoshua, obviously Yehoshua would be there as well. But Moshe Rabbeinu would be the leader to take us in. And, 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 and he would have built the Beit HaMikdash. Obviously, if we would have gone, right? The Beit HaMikdash would never be destroyed. Imagine going into Israel, having an eternal Beit HaMikdash with Moshe Rabbeinu the leader. I mean, he would technically be the Moshiach, right? In a sense, in a sense, Moshe Rabbeinu would have taken us. So here, he's going to bring this concept. He says, if Moshe Rabbeinu would have taken us into Eretz Israel, right? Hayanut Asham, he would have planted Bnei Israel into Israel. Velo Hayan and the Beit Hamikdash would never be destroyed. Ela im Yechetu Israel. However, if the Jews would sin later on, Hayah Kadosh Baruchu Memitam. HaKadosh Baruch Hu would have annihilated the Jews. Because Moshe Rabbeinu builds a building, it's eternal. It's not going to be destroyed. So if the people sin, they're going to be destroyed. Because there's no other option. There's no other way out. And there would be no concept of exile. It would just be total, total annihilation. You make a mistake, you pay for it. 
with your body. There would be no option of exile like we are today for our mistakes. But now that Moshe Rabbeinu was not the one to take us into Israel, because of this, HaKadosh Baruch Hu had the option of putting, so to speak, pouring his anger on wood and stone, which was our temple, the Beit HaMikdash. It was a way out. Because the temple wasn't built by Moshe Rabbeinu, it wasn't eternal, therefore it could be destroyed. When Bnei Israel, when we sinned, Hashem said, okay, as a punishment for the Jews, I'll destroy the building and I'll exile the Jews out of Israel. And they'll go into exile. And in, in a sense, that would save the Jews. In a sense, this punishment itself became our survival. We would survive because of it. Because Moshe Rabbeinu didn't take us into Israel, we survive. We don't get annihilated for our mistakes. And listen to this, he says, and the Jewish people indeed knew about this. They knew that a day is going to come, they're going to make a mistake. We're gonna make a mistake. We're not perfect. We're at least not perfect yet. We're not there yet. And because of this, they said, what is, what's, What are we gonna gain if we go to the Holy Land now? If Moshe Rabbeinu is the one who's gonna be our leader to take us in, what's the use? If he takes us in, we won't survive. The nation won't, so what's the use? Because if they make a sin, they'll be annihilated. Therefore, it would be better for them to get another leader that won't be as powerful as Moshe Rabbeinu to situate them there, to plant them there. And even if they become punishable, Subject to exile, it would be even good, better for them to go back to Egypt than, you, than to get killed. They'd rather go back to Egypt than to get killed. Therefore, <coughs> this answers our question. We said, why is it that Bnei Israel, when they heard the stuff from the, when they heard the news from the the, the spies, they said, Give us a leader and we'll go back to Egypt. They weren't saying literally, according to the Zerah Shimshon, they weren't saying, give us another leader, we want to go back to Egypt now, let's go back. They were basically intrinsically saying, look, what's the use of Moshe Rabbeinu taking us into this land if it's going to be our burial plot, literally? We'll be destroyed if he does. He's going to build the Beit HaMikdash. We're going to sin. Hashem's not going to destroy the Beit HaMikdash. And the Jews are going to be annihilated. So you know what? Give us another leader so that we'll have the option of exile. Even if the exile is Egypt, would rather go there than be completely wiped out. So it wasn't them saying, let's go back to Egypt now. They were saying, no. We want the option of exile. Give us the option to go back to exile. We don't want instant death. We want to have that option on the table. If that option is on the table, you mean 
It's not going to be on the table with Moshe Rabbeinu? Fine, so be it. Give us another leader to take us into Israel. So then we'll have that option. That's why we said, why the peculiar way of the Pasuk? Why is it that they're saying, give us a leader and we'll go back? Why don't they just say, okay, let it, we want to go back to Egypt. They didn't say that. They said, give us a leader and we'll go back. Why? They were saying, we don't want Moshe Rabbeinu to take us in. If Moshe Rabbeinu takes us in this place, we're doomed. Because we knew, we knew ourselves. We knew that if it's not in this generation, in the next generation, we're gonna, somehow, we're gonna drop the ball. And when we do, we don't want to be completely wiped out. So why were we punished? So why were we what? Why is this a day known as the worst day? Right, so your question is very valid. Why were we punished? So if you look, um, um, if you look in the Torah, I, I believe this is the answer. This is what I thought about. Right? The punishment was more for crying for no reason than anything else. That's what Hashem says. You cried for no reason. We just gave an explanation so, why it was so here's the thing. So you have to think. You think HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't know? You think Hashem doesn't know if Moshe Rabbeinu takes you? Da, da, da. He has a plan. Right? It was the mistrust in Akadosh Baruch Hu and the crying for no reason that got us to this place. That was the problem. It was us saying, we don't think God knows what He's doing. What are we doing? What are we doing? If we go, we're going to die. Like, Hashem is like basically saying, you think I don't know that? You think like I haven't planned ahead? In fact, Hashem had planned ahead. You know what the plan was? You, don't, you still don't know what the plan was? We've done Zerashim Shem for so long. Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't supposed to take us to Eretz Yisrael. Remember that? That was the original plan. HaKadosh Baruch Hu already knew that Moshe Rabbeinu is not going to take the Jews into Israel. He had already planned for that. So this problem that we had, like, oh, what are you doing? Why are you taking us into Israel? Moshe Rabbeinu, da, 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 da. Hashem was basically saying, you think I don't know that? You think I'm not planning for that? You're going to cry like you know more than I do? That's why we're punished. Make sense? Don't ask these kind of questions again. Yes, we 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 know why they were. We're just saying that they knew that they're going to be exiled at some point for some mistakes. And that was true. It was idol worship and all sorts of different things. So now, <coughs> sorry, and on this, this is what the reference is to when they said Eretz Ochelet Yosheveha, when the spy said this is a land that eats its people, this is what they meant. Im they meant. If the inhabitants, if they sin, then it's gonna be they're gonna be annihilated. So they were basically saying, Eretz ochelet yosheveha. If we go in and we make mistakes, we're done. It's gonna be their burial plot. So why go in? Therefore, they said, give us another leader. Kelomar ein anu rotsim od Basically, they were saying. We don't want Moshe Rabbeinu to be the one to take us in. 
Because if he takes us in, this land will eat us alive, literally. We're not going to survive. It's going to be too holy. We're going to make mistakes and we're done deal. Now we said Rashi's Kalvachomer didn't make sense, right? At least. Rashi was saying, if you would have gone the, <clears throat> if when we went the long, long way, we weren't able to, we, um, 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 we had a problem, we wanted to go back, how much more so the close way, right? So he says, the Kalvachomer is like this. This is what it means. said to Moshe Rabbeinu, at the burning bush. Which means, I shall be what I shall be. Moshe Rabbeinu said to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Who shall I say has sent me? You want me to go speak to the Bnei Israel? Tell them that God spoke to me? What should I say? Who should I say spoke to me? And Hashem said, tell them, I shall be what I shall be. That's the person or the entity that spoke to you. Which means, Which means, I was with you in this exile, and I shall be with you in the upcoming exiles as well. That was really what Hashem was telling Ben Israel. I was the one who was with you in this past exile in Egypt, and I'm the one who's going to be with you in the upcoming exiles. This, the indication is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was trying to say that there's going to be other exiles. Hashem was hinting to Bnei Israel by sending Moshe Rabbeinu. He was already telling the Jews there is going to be other exiles. You remember we did this before. We spoke about this before. That the exodus from Mitzrayim was temporary. Y'all remember this? Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. You guys remember when we spoke about this? We said that, remember we had a shiur about the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu, Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu, go tell Paro that we're going to go out for three days to bring sacrifices and then we're going to come back. And we said, hold on a second, but that's not truthful, right? We weren't going to go for three days. We were just leaving, right? No, in fact, we were really trying to go for three days only. It was supposed to be for three days only. It was supposed to be... A, you guys, remember this? You remember? I said this, right? It was supposed to be a three-day getaway, Shabbaton. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. It was like a nice flyer. You don't remember the flyer? It was a nice flyer that said, you know, Shabbaton at Mount Sinai. Come join us. And we're going to catered food from so-and-so. Speakers are going to be Moshe Rabbeinu, Aaron Cohen. Right? It was last year's class, exactly. It was supposed to be literally three days going to Midbar with Moshe Rabbeinu, Aharon Kohen, have an amazing, and I'm not making a joke, have an amazing Shabbaton, receive the Torah at Har Sinai, right? Be recharged and go back to Egypt and finish up the other 210 years. The other 200 years or 220 years, depending who you go like. But at least 200 years or 190 years. Right? We still had some exile to finish up in Mitzrayim. But when Egypt became so rough, when Pharaoh made, some, made things so much harder on the Jews, Hashem saw that we're not going to survive. Shabbaton's not going to be enough. We need bigger charge. We're going to need a much bigger charge. So I said, you know what? I'm going to take them out completely, take them to Israel, have the Beit HaMikdash for a few hundred years, 
that'll be a nice recharge for them for the rest of the exile that's going to come, and it's going to be a long one. I'm not going to do this lecture again, but that's basically what it was. Okay? So, Ehyeh Asher Ehyeh, Hashem was telling the Jews, I will be what I will be. Meaning what? I was with you in the exile in Egypt, and I'm going to be with you in the other exiles. Did Moshe Rabbeinu like that answer? No, he didn't. Remember that lecture last year? Moshe Rabbeinu said, no, then don't send me. I'm not going. If you're going to use me to just bring out the Jews temporarily and then send them into exile, I want nothing to do with it. I don't want to do it. I don't, I don't want to be the leader who takes the Jews out for a few hundred years and then, take, and then you take them into exile again. Finish it now. Right? So Moshe Amar, Dayala Tzara. Moshe Rabbeinu said, please, enough with the suffering. Moshe Rabbeinu did not want any more exile for the Jews. As we discussed in Parashat Shemot, which we did last year. Now remember, when the Pasuk later on says, Hashem all of a sudden says to Moshe Rabbeinu, go tell them, Ehyeh has sent me to you. He cut half the Ehyeh. First he said, tell them, Ehyeh asher Ehyeh. I shall be what I shall be. The second time, after arguing with Moshe Rabbeinu, he says, tell them, Ehyeh shalachani. I shall be sent me. He cut half the I shall be. Which was what? Hashem was saying, fine. Tell them who sent you? The one who was with you in the exile of Egypt. Meaning, there might not be more exiles. Only, you only had to have the exile of Egypt. Meaning we're going to stop at the exile of Egypt. Don't tell them anything about other exiles. That's what Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu. And it is possible that Hashem actually agreed with Moshe. And it could be that he actually didn't end up agreeing with Moshe Rabbeinu. But only told them, this is what you should tell B'nai Israel. Don't tell them any further. Because Hashem said, alright, don't make them nervous. Don't tell them about future exiles now. Just tell them, you know who sent me? Hashem that was with you in this past exile. Don't tell them about the future exiles anymore. And if we want to say that Hashem really agreed with Moshe Rabbeinu, that there would, there would be no future exiles, then... The Jews could have just gone the direct way. For they were already free from all foreign kingdoms. And wars and other uncertain harm would not come to them. However, when they were going back in a roundabout way, that was the clear sign of the opposite. That Hashem had not agreed with Moshe Rabbeinu. Listen, just to bring it into a nutshell. I know it was a little difficult to understand. So it says, in the Parsha this week, it says, Hashem did not want to take the Jews the direct way to Israel. Why? Maybe, the Jews would see wars 
and their enemies and they'll want to go back to Egypt. So Hashem said, I'll take them the far way so that if they see war or attacks from enemies, they'll be too far out for them to want to come back to Egypt. What does that even mean? So what he's explaining is basically saying it was more futuristic. Hashem said there's going to be other exiles. There's going to be enemies attacking. Why? Because imagine, if Hashem was supposed to take us into Israel, period, wouldn't you think it would be a comfortable ride all the way through with no enemies attacking us on the way? If Hashem has just taken us out of exile from, from Mitzrayim, from Egypt, sir, we're done. No one's going to fight us anymore. No one's going to have problems with us anymore. We're going to go directly into Israel. Why would anyone want to bother us? Hashem has told us, I'm taking you out. Once and for all, you're free from all exile. You're free from any enemies. You're going to go directly to Israel. But he didn't do that. You know why? Because Hashem said, it's not time yet. You're not done. You're not done with exile. You're going to have to deal with enemies. There's going to be enemies that are going to be attacking you. It's not going to be all dandy. I tell you, I had this question all my life. I always had this question. Hashem promised us Eretz Israel, right? So I don't understand. Just take us there. Give us the land and let building begin. Build the Betamitash. That's not how it happened. Forget the outside wars that we had to fight with the Pelishtim and the Amalekites and all those wars. There were so many internal wars that we had to go through. He's the true king. He's the true king. Kings fighting. People, families fighting. It was so much suffering we went through. This answers the question. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling Bnei Israel, you're not done with exile yet. You're coming out of Egypt because you couldn't survive in Egypt anymore. But I'm taking you the roundabout way to kind of let you on a secret. You're not done with the exile. The roundabout way meant you're going to be dealing with enemies. And that's why the parsha says it quite clearly. Hashem said, I'm going to take him the long way because when they get attacked by enemies, I don't want them to want to go back to Egypt. And here we go. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu did not agree with Moshe Rabbeinu to end the exile with Egypt. He knew that there's going to be more exiles. And he knew that Moshe Rabbeinu is not going to lead us into Israel. It's going to be another leader. Which meant the Beit HaMikdash can be destroyed and the Jews are going to be exiled. We're going to have many different exiles. And because of that, Moshe Rabbeinu was never actually destined to take us into Israel. Now he says, our Kalva Homer makes sense. Rashi says, if Hashem had led us by an indirect way, which would be a sign that Moshe Rabbeinu is not going to take us into Israel. Indirect meant you're going to deal with exile, which equals no Moshe Rabbeinu in Israel. So if, Moshe Rabbeinu took, uh, if Hashem took us out of Egypt in an indirect way, which meant Moshe Rabbeinu is not going to end up taking us into Israel, Amru Nitenarosh. So Bnei Israel said, Give us a new leader. If he had led them in the direct way, If he would have gone directly into Israel, which meant there is not going to be any more exiles coming up, and Moshe Rabbeinu would have planted them how much more so they'll want to go back to Mitzrayim because they would say hold on you're taking us directly into Israel 
Moshe Rabbeinu is taking us into Israel. Hold on a second. That means he's going to build a temple. We're still going to make mistakes and that you're going to kill us all. So forget about it. I don't want to. So basically Hashem was telling them the fact that I'm taking you the long way should give you the hint that Moshe Rabbeinu is not going to be the leader. But when they got to the border of Israel, they freaked out. We freaked out. We said, hold on a second. Why is Moshe Rabbeinu bringing us in? The land is eating everyone. We're going to die. If Moshe Rabbeinu brings us in, we're going to all die. Give us another leader. We don't want Moshe Rabbeinu to take us into Israel. Little did we know that was already in the original plan. Moshe Rabbeinu was not supposed to take us into Egypt. So he says now, we're going to answer the first question we had. Right? The Midrash says, therefore, because Hashem took us at a roundabout way, even the poorest of the Jews has to lean on Pesach. And we said, what does that have to do with anything? What does a poor Jew doing leaning on Pesach have to do with the long distance way to Eretz Israel? What does that have to do with anything? So he says, Vafal Pichen, even though that we're supposed to be exiled, like we are today, still on Pesach night, we, have to, we are obligated to recline while we eat. Because the freedom that we are hinting to on this night, is a freedom of spirit, not body. Not a freedom of body. Therefore, even the poorest of the Jews, who is really afflicted and tormented in his life, even so, he has to lean. Because if we were talking about a physical freedom, then it would be a different story. We're not really free. We're in exile. Because we went the roundabout way. We should have known we're going to be exiled more and more and more, like we are in today. So, therefore, the Midrash is saying, don't recline because you're free, so to speak, in a physical manner. You're not free. That's obvious. We're still in exile. 1900 years, we're in exile today. It says, but the poorest person should recline. Why? Because you should know that you are free in spirit. Meaning what? At least the fact that you were able to go into exile meant that you survived. And in spirit, you know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu did it for your own good. So that you'll be able to survive. That should give you hope for the future. Meaning that there is hope that Moshiach will come. We will be free in physics. Meaning, in, not physics. In, 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 the, in the physical realm, that should give us hope enough for us to lean, even in the saddest times. Like the Jews did in, 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 in the Holocaust. You know, in the middle of all of that darkness, how much self-sacrifice they went through just to have a piece of matzah on, on, on a Pesach Seder night. Just so that, and you think, you think on the Pesach Seder night that they did in the Holocaust, they didn't recline? They absolutely reclined. Because even in the darkest moments, even in the darkest shadows of Nazi Germany, a Jew knew, I'm still free. Why am I free? Because the fact that I know that there's still hope for a tomorrow. If Moshe Rabbeinu would have taken us into Eretz Israel, the Jews felt there is no hope for tomorrow. 
So the Midrash is telling us the fact that we went the long distance to Israel and Moshe Rabbeinu didn't end up taking us into Israel meant that we are going to survive and we're ultimately free. And survival means freedom. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen. Questions?